sound back there? Hey, can you put the lion score at the bottom so our viewers? Okay. Yeah, they're probably not viewing tonight, so it's all right. <laughs> Amen. Good to be in church on a Sunday night. I'm going to try to do something tonight and try to edify the saint here. I think we're going to go to Acts chapter 6. Um, I'm on. And now that you got Acts chapter 6, I'll find the right place to go. Now, ever since uh, about the last month of the year, this thought has come to my mind. Yeah, you want Genesis 12 is what you want, actually. Sorry about that. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, what this country needs is to simply go back to the Bible. Amen. Now, that's what uh, some of our early, uh, earliest, I hate to say this word because it sounds Catholic, but some of the earliest church fathers, that's what they said. They said, we need to return to the word. And uh, so we're not Catholic. Um, amen, amen. We're, we're anti-Catholic is what we are. And if you're not, we'll pray that you will get right with your Lord. <laughs> amen. But, uh, amen, we need to go back to the Bible. We really do. And the thought got to me to thinking, which is a good thing, if you weren't educated, now don't, <laughs> you got to explain everything in Laodicea because everyone's all, you know, miffed about everything, you know, but. If you didn't uh, know the Greek and you didn't know the Hebrew, which I don't think I have any Greek or Hebrew scholars here, right? I'm not. <laughs> uh, a little bit of pig Latin, a whole lot of grandpa language, amen. You don't know grandpa languages, I'll tell you after church, amen. But uh, we need to go back to the Bible. And the thought was this. If you didn't know Greek or Hebrew, how would you know which Bible to get? That's a great question, isn't it? Now, when I was growing up, honestly, there was only one choice. Uh, I had honestly no idea, and it could be that I was raised in Osco County, and it's, the air's a little thin around these parts, amen, but I didn't even know there was any other Bible besides the King James Bible. It wasn't until about high school that I began to hear lots of little bits and pieces that, of an amplified Bible or something like that. I didn't know what that means. Maybe plugged it in, played sound through it or something. I had no idea. I really didn't. Uh, when I, after I first year of college, I came back to Ogemaw County because I went to school in Ogemaw County, and they were getting rid of a preacher over there uh, at the church, the big church there in West Branch. And as he's packing his stuff up and a bunch of men there, uh, they said, he said, come up to me, a super nice guy, I loved the Lord, you know, and he said, did you know that they have a, uh, this type of Bible and that, and it references she instead of he, and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about, and that might not mean anything to you, but if we're going to go back to the Bible, you ought to know which Bible you should have, amen, and of course, we are a King James Bible-believing church, and we're unashamed, 
and we're, we don't apologize for that. We don't back up, and we don't try to put a filter on it. At the same token, we don't attempt to blow your doors off at the same time, but yet we will get a little worked up from time to time about the Bible. I mean, all you really have to do is read our sign. I mean, if you don't know what kind of church you are, just read the sign. You know, Here's your sign, anyways. <laughs> you ever stop and think where Bibles come from? This is a serious question, though. <laughs> I've got to clarify that. Uh, generally, uh, Bibles come from two families. This isn't manuscript evidence, and I'm going somewhere with this, so hopefully this will be a help to you, a blessing. This isn't manuscript evidence. I'm not going to weigh you down in the, uh, the weeds of uh, golf ball theology, amen. I'm not going to lose you out there. But uh, most exist existing manuscripts, and when I say the word manuscripts, that's uh, usually just a bunch of pieces uh, that the Bible were written on, and there's two families, all right? So what you have, we'll say this one, you have the Alexandrian family, and then you have the Antiochian family, all right? Of course, that's Antioch of Syria. And, of course, Alexandrian, that's Egypt, right? So if you had nothing but the Bible in your lap today, uh, how would you know which Bible you should get, right? Uh, how would you know what Bible to choose? So there's, there's only two Bibles. And uh, out of those families of manuscripts, one of these families belongs to God, and one of these families belong to Satan. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, there's two families. One belongs to the devil, one belongs to the Lord. But if you didn't know Greek or Hebrew, how in the world would you even know? Uh, Alexandrian, you've got, uh, real quick, you've got a manuscript called Sinaiticus. You've got one called uh, Trashicanus there, Vaticanus, <laughs> and then you've got Alexandrinus. Now, don't think I'm super manuscript smart here. And uh, for Antioch, we'll uh, say this, they have the received text, uh, also referred to as the old Textus Receptus. Okay? Those are the manuscripts there and those families there. And uh, so two Bibles in manuscript form and they're, uh, both of them have different ideologies. All right? Both of them have different attitudes. Both of them have different manuscripts. And one belongs to the Lord and one belongs to the devil. And you and I, we need to get back to the Bible this year. We need to make the Bible our banner one more time. And if you already are, praise the Lord for you. Amen? But if not, we've got work to do. It's time to roll up the sleeves. It's time to start scheduling more time to get in that book. And, and not only just get in the book to do the time, but just drop your head before you read and say, Lord, I'm an unclean individual. Unless you fill me with your Holy Spirit, I'm not going to learn a thing. This is a holy book, and I'm an unholy person, so would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me something for crying out loud. 
in Jesus' name, amen. And I think that's probably why we don't learn the Bible as we would like to, because many times we're not filled with his spirit when we read. All right, so we need to go back to the Bible. I want to show you real, real simplistically, uh, if all you had was a Bible, uh, you could determine which one of these Bibles you should get. All right? Now, Dr. Ruckman said this, it's either back to the Bible or back to the jungle. And it's a jungle out there, isn't it? It's a jungle out there. In 1962, they got rid of prayer in the public schools. None, none of us were around. Were you around yet, Brother Larry? Nope. Okay. <laughs> 1963, they followed up by getting rid of Bible reading out of schools. You see that? Prayer's gone, 62. Bible reading's gone in 63. Um, well, guess what happened in 1964? Civil rights. We are in the latest in church period, which means right to the people. You take the Bible out, you take prayer out, what's going to happen? Man's going to follow his course. Automatically, Laodicea shows up front and center. Now, we've been in the latest in church period longer than that. The Bible and prayer just stays that off. So you take the Bible and prayer out of public education, and now what do you have? Well, in 64, you have civil rights, and so it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Now, I'm not against civil rights. I'm glad we have a couple. Aren't you? <laughs> uh, well, what happened in 1965 after all the great Civil Rights Act? In 1965, you had race riots. Why? Well, that's the fourth year since prayer's taken out of school, third year since the Bible's taken out of school. It's back to the Bible or back to the jungle. You see that? We're going to improve everyone's race relationships. We're going to give everyone civil rights. I'm not against civil rights, don't get me wrong. But in 65, you had the race riots, and you also had the beginning of Vietnam. You see that? There's a price to pay when you take the Bible away. You need to remember that. All right, 1966, the Black Panther Party shows up, was founded. 1967, you have the first African-American uh, Supreme Court Justice. Thurgood a good marshal, you say you against that? No, I'm just, this is history. And you also have, uh, I can't even read my own note. Oh, you have more race riots all around the world. 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. You would think he'd take the throne, but they put a bullet in his head instead. Not only that, you had Robert Kennedy assassinated. And 1969, Apollo 11 lands on the moon, or else they say it does. You say, what about that? Well, if you take prayer out of the school, and then you take the Bible out of the school, you now have a generation of people that don't even know their domain. The Bible told Adam that his domain was high as the bird flies and as low as the fish swims. If us as a country would have been reading that Bible, We'd have known our domain has not passed that atmosphere. We've got no business out there. Not the message, just some fodder for thought, amen? Well, in 1969, what happens? Woodstock. Oh, man, what do you have? We now have seven years. Seven years. No prayer in school, no Bible in school, 
Uh, and guess what happens there? Boy, you get a bunch of young people out there fornicating, doing drugs. Have at it, man. Free bird, free love, free whatever. And uh, by the way, gas was uh, 35 cents a gallon. <laughs> Amen. So uh, you say, what are you saying? Back to the Bible or back to the jungle? And I want to show you real quick here. Uh, take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 12. I'm sure you're there. When you're studying uh, scripture, there's a rule in the Bible. It's called first mention. And what that, that rule is, is generally the first mention of something in the Bible carries the thought completely through the Bible. So if the first mention is bad generally, it's going to be bad all the way through. Well, you've got first mention, you've got further mention, and then you've got final mention. Just something when you study your Bible. First mention generally carries it through. Further mention substantiates it. Final mention puts the nail on the coffin for it. So what about the Bible? Okay, what Bible do I need? What Bible, if I don't know Greek and Hebrew, if I'm not a scholar, uh, what family, these are families, right? What family am I getting the Bible from? You know, is it the Adams family or, you know, or what is it? Well, we can't look at these families without starting with Egypt. What does the Bible say about Egypt? Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. The Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Wherefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will offer me the right hand of fellowship and join the church. Right? No, they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. So here in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we find Abraham is given what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And in Abraham, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 10, Abraham goes down into Egypt to escape a famine in his homeland. In verse 12, uh, Abram's fear is that the Egyptians will kill him and steal his wife. You see that? That's not a positive content at all. That's a negative content. That's a negative approach. That's a negative, that's the first mention of Egypt. First mention of Egypt, Genesis 12, bad. You see that? 12, 10, bad. All right? Pretty simple, right? Let's look at this one, Exodus chapter 1. If all I had was a Bible, could I know which Bible I need to read? Sure you can. Exodus chapter 1. Now, in Exodus 1, verses 11 to 14... Uh, you know the story. Uh, I, I'm sure everyone here knows. We find that the Jews were slaves in Egypt, right? I'll look at verse 11. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all matter of service in the field. All their service when they made them serve was with rigor. And in fact, Pharaoh decrees that all male Jewish babies are to be killed in verses 15 to 16. You see that? So obviously, negative content, right? Exodus 1, bad. Egypt is bad, killing babies, enslaving people. That's two in a row. 
All right, look at this one. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, uh, right around verse 2. Now, after the Lord brought Israel out of, the, out of Egypt, uh, God, with his own voice, tells you what he thinks about Egypt. This ought to be important. Verse 2, he described Israel as a house of bondage. See it? That's the words of Jehovah God. Again, a negative comment. I mean, it's three strikes, right? <laughs> three strikes, he should be out. Bad. I'll give you another one, Deuteronomy 420. I'll give you a few more here. Multitude of uh, counselors, there is safety. Amen. Like old Brother Lint said, the more you turn those blessed pages, the more you love the Rock of Ages. I tell you what, the more I turn these pages, the less I love myself, that's for sure. <laughs> if you think kind of highly of yourself tonight, you need to read that book more. <laughs> now look at this, but the Lord, uh, this is Moses, but the Lord has taken you, verse 20. Uh, this will give you a new uh, light, <laughs> no pun intended, on uh, 420. You with me? That's the modern vernacular, right? But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the... Smoke it up, baby. <laughs> Iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. <laughs> there it is. Deuteronomy 4.20. Bad. Iron furnace. Like Iron Mike, right? Iron doesn't have a good connotation in the Bible anywhere. You'll follow that thing through later. Uh, how about this one, Deuteronomy 17? You're right in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at uh, chapter 17. We're looking at Egypt before we uh, take a look at Alexandria. Deuteronomy 17, 16. Now notice, no Hebrew, right? No manuscript evidence, just the Bible. That's why we need to get back to the Bible. Amen? <laughs> Deuteronomy 17 16, Israel's told that in the future, when they have a king, that he's not to carry on commercial trade with Egypt. Look at verse 16. But he shall, talking about the king, he shall not multiply horses to himself. That's what Solomon did, right? Nor cause the people to return to Egypt. That's what Zedekiah did, right? To the end that he should multiply horses. That's what David did. That's what Solomon did. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth what a great verse. Return no more that way. Well, that's great preaching for the Christian, ain't it? Do not go back to Egypt. Ye shall henceforth return no more that way. All right, obviously negative connotation. Deuteronomy 17, 16. We'll look at one more here. I know you can't see what I'm writing, but I can. So that's all that matters, right? <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm writing awful small here. <laughs> I don't know if you can zoom on that or not, Bean. Look at Revelation chapter 11, last book of the Bible. Now, when God wants to uh, denounce Jerusalem, you know what he does? When God wants to denounce Jerusalem, he compares Israel to Sodom and Egypt. <laughs> All right, this would be the final mention. Revelation 11:8, 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually is called... Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. There it is. Back to the Bible says, 
Egypt, and I, you all knew this, so we didn't even have to cover this one, you know what I mean? Uh, you all knew this one, that Egypt uh, gets an F, right? That's a failing grade. Father, I have flunked. <laughs> all right, but now we need to look at Alexandria. We're still in this family here, the Alexander family, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, let's look at Alexandria. So now you want to go to uh, Acts chapter number 6. And the cool part about this is Alexandria is only mentioned four times <laughs> in the Bible. But I'm telling you what, in that four times, boy, does it pack a punch. And boy, does it tell you a lot about that family of manuscripts. Um, first of all, uh, Alexander is mentioned in Acts chapter 6 and verse 9. The Bible says, right, back to the Bible, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and... Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with who? Stephen. I mean, you know the story about Stephen, right? First New Testament martyr. So it was Jews from Alexandria who were in the crowd that disputed with and eventually what? Killed Stephen. They're from where? <laughs> Alexandria. That's Acts 6-9. First mention of the word Alexandria. Bad. Not looking too good, is it? All right, but we'll look at the other three. We'll look at the, how about uh, uh, Acts chapter 18? Acts chapter 18, verse 24. So while you're going there, um, they martyred Stephen, uh, they disputed with him. And you know what also in that passage in Acts chapter 7? They hated, you ready? They hated <laughs> his preaching. <laughs> Ain't that something? The Alexandrians hated Stephen's preaching. Man, that's cockeyed, ain't it? Uh, they hated his preaching, they martyred him, that means they killed him, and they're disputing with him. Now look here, 1824, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at, what's that word? Alexandria. Now notice, he's what? He's an eloquent man. See it? And mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. So here we find a Jew from Alexandria named Apollos, who though he's fervent in the spirit, guess what? He's messed up in his doctrine. Ain't that something? He's misinformed concerning the gospel. Uh, not knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, he preached, uh, he preached in Ephesus uh, only the baptism of John. Now listen, if you're going to get saved today, are you going to get up and preach the baptism of John? So you know what this fellow from Alexandria is? He's got the right motive, the right mindset, and man, he's the man for the job, but he is messed up in his doctrine. You get a clue? That's, uh, is that Acts chapter 11? That's 1824, right? That's bad. Now this is important. He's messed up. He's messed up doctrinally. Isn't that something? I think the Bible might be onto something, don't you? How about this one? Well, let, let me say this before we move on from there. In uh, 
chapter, uh, the same chapter there, uh, later Apollos is led to Jesus Christ by Aquila and Priscilla in verse 26. And thank God they help him get his doctrine straight. That's a blessing. So if someone's uh, from Alexandria, messed up with the Alexandrian family, guess what? There's hope for them. There is. Amen. <laughs> they can get saved. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> they can get their doctrine right. Now, we don't say that because we think we're the only ones that have the answer, but we do have the answer. And I know I've got the right Bible, and I don't know Greek and Hebrew. Now, notice this. So in the second mention, Alexandria is synonymous with bad Bible teaching and bad doctrine. All right, how about this, uh, Acts chapter 27. Here's a third mention of Alexandria. After Paul's arrested in Acts 21, he appeals his case to Caesar, right? And uh, he gets on a ship in Acts chapter 27 and verse 6. Any idea where that ship's from? <laughs> Alexandria. Ain't that wild? Acts chapter 27 Man, if all the ships to get on, you got to get on this one. It gets crazy in the next chapter, though. Acts chapter 27. Are the lines still winning? You didn't look? Oh, shame on you, bro. You're supposed to be checking on that stuff there. You're getting the right family here. Amen. That's good. Now I'm under conviction. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, you know, Jared? No, okay. All right, and there... Verse 6, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexander sailing where? Into Italy, and he put us therein. All right, so he's on the ship of Alexandria. And here's a third mention of Alexandria. And what happens in chapter 27? Shipwreck. Pretty bad connotation, isn't it? So we can honestly say that the connotation in Acts chapter 27 for Alexandria is bad. And let me say this. If you get hooked up with this family of Bibles, oops, that's not the word I'm after, shipwreck. Okay, well, you get hooked up with the Alexandrian family of Bibles and manuscript, you are going to get shipwrecked spiritually, okay? Shipwreck. Okay, there we go. Now let's look at the, the last one here in uh, Acts chapter 28. Now I'm thankful God gave me a Bible that has the reading, uh, what's it, has a fourth grade reading level. John Wesley said that the King James Bible was simple enough for the plowboy, yet complex enough for the lawyer. Isn't that something? And uh, so here the third mention of that ship at Alexandria has to do with a shipwreck. And of course here, after spending three months on the island of Melita, he's sent on his way on another ship. My goodness. Guess what that ship's called, verse 11. I mean, you just got shipwrecked, man. And they got on the thing and it called what? It's another ship of Alexandria. And you say, uh, okay, uh, this, one doesn't, this one doesn't get shipwrecked, preacher, so your little game comes to a close. Now, look at verse uh, 11 here, 14 rather, <laughs> carry the one, <clears throat> and uh, verse 14, 
where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went towards, where is it going? That's bad, ain't it? Good job, birthday boy. All right, so uh, it's bad. You say, why? Because that old ship is going towards Rome. And you know what? In the day and age you and I live in, Christianity is going towards Rome. And the old church house is going towards Rome. And everyone's convictions and standards are right out the window. They're going right towards Rome where everything's accepted. And that's where all the Bible correctors live. And that's something to think about. Well, there's Antioch. Antioch. And before we get to Antioch, we see all four Bible references to Alexandria are negative. No one with any type of honesty at all by reading those four verses could say, that's a great family. I think I'm going to go buy their material. I mean, unless you're just sick in the head, a bit demented or twisted, or want to live on the wild side, everything about Egypt and Alexandria is bad. Amen? That's why we need to go back to the Bible, because we find out the Bible is what's got the answers, without Hebrew or without Greek. Now, there's a handful of references here at Antioch. Let's look at this. The first mention of Antioch is in the same book and chapter as Alexandria. That's back in Acts chapter 6. Take a look at that. Acts chapter 6. I think it's around verse 9. <coughs> now, when, uh, here in Acts chapter 6, when the uh, apostles saw a need for helpers, amen, Amen. Need for helpers. That's what you guys are good at. I'm giving you kudos. There's a need here. You step up and you do it. I mean, it don't matter. We get foot up to our tail. I mean, someone's out there shoveling snow and we get it done. Amen. Whether we got to blow a line or whatever, <laughs> you know, we got stuff to do. We've had, held a few uh, youth rallies. Y'all jump in. That's a blessing. And, uh, but the apostles saw a need for helpers whom we know today is what? Deacons. Amen? And they gave instructions there in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now look at verse 5. The seven men are chosen. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. You know Stephen. We just talked about him. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip and that fellow there, uh, Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, and not Pumbaa, but Parmenas there. And notice this here at the end, and uh, Nicholas, <laughs> a proselyte of, look at that. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I get giddy when I see that. I notice that one of the first deacons, Nicholas, was of Antioch. Now, is that a mere coincidence? No, not at all. Uh, that's, a, that's a great mark in the scripture there. And notice he's the only deacon in that passage where his location is mentioned. That is not a coincidental. That's the Holy Spirit telling you where to go. All right. <clears throat> so Antioch is first mentioned in a positive light. These are men that love the Lord. They were honest men, full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And the only city mentioned was Nicholas's city, all right? 
Uh, the next few pertinence appearances of Antioch start uh, kind of like a trickle and end as a flood of testimony to God's choice of Antioch for the center of his New Testament church. Look at uh, Acts chapter 11 now. That's the next time Antioch appears in the Bible. 11, chapter 19. Here, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, the Bible says, Now they were, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Verse 20, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Here we find the certain of the Christians who had taken flight during the persecutions. Remember the persecution in Jerusalem, and they're blasting them out of there, and as they go, they're preaching. I mean, that's called shotgun preaching right there. As they're packing up everything, the Tupperware and the cups and the plates and the donkeys and everything else, and, you know, the saddlebags and the kids and the cats and all. We'll leave the cats behind and then, but, you know what I mean? They're preaching. And as they're preaching, people are getting saved. And they get to Antioch, and they're still preaching, and a great number of people are saved. So upon arrival in Antioch, they preach the gospel to the Grecians. And verse 21 tells us that God's Holy Spirit worked mightily, and that a great number were saved. That's pretty good context, isn't it? What a great reference. I'm telling you, what a great number of believers were saved, but it took some persecution for that to happen. I mean, I want people saved, and I, I'd love to see our little church house grow, but you know what I know? It's probably going to take a little bit of persecution from time to time, isn't it? Well, let me give you another one. We see here the first great Gentile awakening is right here, and it occurred where? Antioch. Now look at this, uh, Acts chapter 11, uh, same chapter, verse 22 to 24, we find that Barnabas... The son of consolation, he was sent to Antioch to see what was happening, right? They send Barnabas from Jerusalem. Nothing's going on in Jerusalem there. Look at 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and he'd seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What a great message. For he was a good man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord, so that through the ministry of this great man Barnabas, uh, many, many people were added to Jesus Christ. So here's another great, great reference, 22 to 24, of Antioch with a good connotation. Now let's keep reading in this chapter. It just keeps getting gooder. <laughs> All right, verse 25 and 26, we find two pretty important facts revealed about Antioch. Verse 25, the Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Saul for to seek Saul. I'm sorry, Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him where? Unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So first we find Barnabas departing for Tarsus to get Saul. 
Uh, it was Barnabas, you got to remember, it was Barnabas who defended Paul's conversion back in Acts 9, but nobody wanted nothing to do with him because they were so scared of him. So Paul is shipped off to Tarsus, and what happens is after a while, Barnabas says, enough of this, and he goes and finds Saul. And he takes him to Antioch, and that's where Paul's ministry really kicked off. And all that ever became of Paul, he owes to the gracious act of Barnabas. And upon him finding Saul, isn't it interesting that Barnabas does not take him to Jerusalem or Alexandria, but he takes him where? Takes him to Antioch. He returns with him to Antioch, the spiritual capital of the New Testament. It's very clear at this point that Antioch has become the spiritual capital of the New Testament. So that's 25 and 26, yet another very good positive reference about Antioch. Let's grab another one here. Look at uh, verse 26. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we find that born-again believers were called Christians for the first time at Antioch. We just looked at that, right? And so that every time uh, we as Christians, believers, refer to ourselves as Christians, you know what we do? We make a spiritual connection to where? Not Alexandria. Every time we refer to ourselves as Christians, we're going back to Antioch. You see that? That's Acts 11.26. Another good connotation there. Never forget that. Uh, it's like this. Um, Antioch is to the Christian what Plymouth Rock is to the American. You make the spiritual connection there. Now look at this one, verses 27 and 28. You know what we find now? We find now that God has packed up his prophets, and guess where he's sending them? He's sending them to Antioch. The prophets at this time have been hanging out in Jerusalem, and these prophets were for the uh, maturing of the New Testament church. Look at verse 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Hasn't this verse, if you're honest, always been one of those wonders and kind of weird things like, we got disciples, we got apostles, we got deacons. What do we need prophets for now? We're not in the Old Testament. I, know, I always thought that. I'll tell you why. They were needed for the formation of the early church, but the Lord is done at Jerusalem. You see that? There is nothing from Acts chapter 15, there is nothing going on in Jerusalem. So what's happening? Everything's shifting to Antioch. There's no manuscripts out of Jerusalem. You need to realize that. So we're going back to the Bible. We're looking at what the Bible says about Antioch. And the Bible is showing us that Antioch is the spiritual capital of the New Testament, so much so that the prophets, even the prophets that were hanging out in Jerusalem, like, we got to get out of here. And so here they come. They come over to Antioch. All right, and so they go to Antioch. Look at verse 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So, Jerusalem is what? Jerusalem is left spiritually abandoned uh, and home only of the disciples, which, by the way, they were told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to leave. But there's something about Mother Church, isn't there? There's something about tradition. There's just something about, well, this is where, you know, me and Pete went fishing, and this is where me and the Lord, we climbed a tree, and this is... You see what I mean? And the Lord, the, the, the Lord told them, you know, you stay here until you receive power, and then you're supposed to get lost, man. Get out of there. 
the Lord's done with Jerusalem, you realize by 70 A.D., Titus had come in and sieged Jerusalem. Man, you don't talk about a mess. And for the, for the Christianity to go around the world, it had to get out of Jerusalem. Amen, amen. Well, when God decides to send his missionaries out into the world, this is the next one to preach the gospel. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't look at Jerusalem. He doesn't look at uh, Alexandria. Uh, he looks at Antioch. Look at Acts chapter 13. 13, 1 to 3. When God chooses missionaries to send out around the world, what he does is he looks to Antioch. That's Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. Now notice this thing here. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, Certain teachers, I'm sorry, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid the hands on them and sent them away. So therefore, it is evident the first missionary journey mentioned in Scripture originated in Antioch with Christians. From Antioch. You see that? That's a great connotation. First missionaries ever sent out. Right there. Sent from Antioch. Well, and when this, uh, this great work, this missionary work was fulfilled, you realize no one wasted any time doing any sightseeing. <laughs> no one didn't waste any time uh, sending reports back to Jerusalem. They simply returned to Antioch. Look at Acts 14. Acts 14, I think that's 25 we want. Acts 14, 25. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down unto Italia, and, they, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. All right, so they fulfilled that first missionary journey. And when they were come and had gathered the church together at Antioch there, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time, where? Antioch, with the disciples. I mean, this picture couldn't get painted any clearer, could it? Antioch's place to be. And uh, they do their missionary journey. When they come back, they do not go back to Jerusalem. They do not go to Alexandria. They go right back to Antioch. They give the report. Everyone's uh, dinner on the grounds and running the bases and special music and all night prayer meetings and all that stuff. It's just a real good time. Now I want you to see this one. Look at Acts chapter 15. Here's another one about Antioch. So the disciples in Jerusalem, they feel a need to send a pair of envoys to Antioch with their decrees concerning Gentile believers. Look at 1523, Acts 1523. Bible says, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded the lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, now watch this. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas. 
who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So that's the Council of Jerusalem. The matter of salvation is settled. A pair of envoy goes to Antioch. And following the completion of this mission here, Judas returns to Jerusalem, right? And you ever hear from him again? Now, this isn't a scary. He's already dead and back in hell there, right? You never hear from Judas again, do you? Why? Because he went back to Jerusalem. God's done with Jerusalem. But notice here, it was Silas who we find gaining a prominent place in scriptures as Paul's missionary partner on a second missionary journey. Look at uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 40. Verse 40. All right. <clears throat> and, of course, the second missionary journey here didn't originate in Jerusalem either. It originated the only place that it could have, in Antioch. Acts 1540 shows you, and Paul chose Silas. You say, why? Because he went back to Antioch. He stayed in Antioch. <laughs> he didn't go back to Jerusalem. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren the grace of God. And uh, so that final reference there that we give you there, Acts chapter 15, verse 40. That's another good reference. There's eight of them. All with a good connotation about Antioch. Now, this is where your King James Bible comes from. Okay? This is God's Bible right here. Undisputed. This is the devil's Bible right here. That's the devil's line of Bible. Now, with only a Bible... No Hebrew, no Greek. We showed you those two families of manuscripts out of Alexandria and Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt there. And the other one, uh, Antioch, Assyria. And you see how the Bible is very, very clear to you if you want to learn what family you should choose. Choose the Antiochian family. It's a no-brainer to me. Take your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 8. I'll show this to you. Now, look, I know you believe the Bible. I do, too. Amen? I believe the Bible, and I know you do, too. But here's the thing. You have got to come to this conclusion here tonight that this Bible is very plain. It's not out to trick you. And if it seems too simple, it is. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8. He says, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all what? Plain. They are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge. Now listen, unless you're after a horror novel, I wouldn't touch anything from that family. It's bad. Everything from start to finish is bad out of Alexandria, including all the manuscripts, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Alexandrinus. They say, well, you know, they say it's the oldest. I don't care if it's the oldest. I don't care if it's the newest. I don't care if it's inside out and upside down around the world 200 times. Everything about that, according to the King James Bible, is bad. And that one right there, Antioch Assyria, that's the one you want. That's the witness of Scripture. That's not the witness of some pompous, bloated, windbag fellow sitting in a, uh, uh, an office with his air conditioning on and not getting any sunlight. You see what I mean? Now, I believe that about the Bible. It's very plain, and I know you do too. And the reason I want to do this tonight is show you 
is we just need to go back to the Bible. Amen? And we can believe the book. It's plain. And last verse here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You might be here tonight, and you might have grown up in a Bible-believing church. I would challenge you to do this. I'd challenge you to have a conversation with the Lord. might go something like this. Lord, I've always believed the Bible was right, but I believe every word. I believe every punctuation mark. I believe everything in that Bible from cover to cover, including the cover. Would you open my eyes to it? And let me tell you what, he will. I had a conversation with the Lord like that about 10 years in, uh, probably around 2006, and I'm telling you what, it's like uh, the Lord stuck 100 toothpicks and my eyes are wide open. Uh, 2 verse 13. Bible says, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now that thing right there says, if you believe the, what we just went through as coming from the mouth of God, not the mouth of me, then that book's going to work inside of you the way it was designed to work. And that's my problem. I need that book to work in me the way it's supposed to work, not the way I think it should. So back to the Bible, Alexandria or Antioch. Well, all the votes are in, and survey says we're going with Antioch. Amen? All right, why don't you stand? We'll be dismissing word of prayer.